Chapter 52 Prelude of Light A mist veiled Link's surroundings, and all he could see was an endless sea of white. At first, Link had no idea where he was. His vision somehow seemed wrong. He shivered, a chill running through him as he remembered the cold steel of a blade piercing his right eye. Shutting his remaining eye, Link wheeled away the horrid memory by shifting his thoughts with considerable effort. Instead, he tried to recalling what happened after he'd lost his eye, but everything was a confused blur. The mask with those haunting amber eyes. Majora. The demon that resembled a dismembered human corpse. The raven figurehead. Malin. Wait. Where'd Malin come into all of this? He'd rescued her amongst the others, but... How had they even escaped from the Horde Temple in the first place? No other fleeting memories came to him except the putrid, festering wound caused by the dead hand. Shaking off the bitter cold that coiled through his insides as he thought, Link tried focusing on where he was. Is this a vision of the Sacred Realm? Link wondered. It resembled it with a strange fog swirling around him. Had one of the sages summoned him just as Saria and Darunia had done? Just then, the mist began to fade, and he could dimly make out shapes beyond it. At first, it was nothing more than a pale outline of objects hidden within the fog. However, they abruptly became clearer and sharper, as the chamber gained clarity, an icy shiver crept down Link's spine. He immediately remembered this place. It was here that Ganondorf had entered the Sacred Realm and attempted to claim the Triforce. Link had led him straight to it, sealing Hyrule's bitter fate. Yet, he felt an odd sort of acceptance in that fact. Yes. He'd inadvertently led Ganondorf right into the Sacred Realm's heart, where there was no point dwelling on what he couldn't change. What was done was done, and what mattered now was how he chose to respond to it. The thought filled him with a sense of determination that he would try to do everything possible to set things right. The heavy iron doors in front of him swung open, revealing a cavernous passageway leading deeper into the temple. The child within Link wanted to wander down that corridor and see what secrets he could uncover within the temple's hollowed halls. On the other hand, the more pessimistic part of him never wanted to explore another temple again. Ever. Come on, Link! Where's your sense of adventure gone? A child's voice seemed to say. I buried it. He thought sullenly. His newfound cynicism, though 
not entirely without reason, was unfounded on this occasion. It was unlikely that Rearu had a fondness for deadly traps or hideous monsters. The Temple of Light was probably not very dangerous, but he was in no mood to find out. Taking his eye off the door, he turned to glance at the rest of the chamber. It was almost exactly as he remembered. Almost. He froze as he took in the sight of six translucent crystals. They stood at least twice Link's height, and he was convinced there must be something inside them. The deep azure surface of the crystals shimmering against the light streaming through the chamber's tall windows, making the chamber's atmosphere far less oppressive compared to his previous visit. What are those things? Link wondered aloud. He stepped closer to the nearest crystal which hovered just above the symbol of the spirit medallion which was intricately etched into the stone dais. Link gazed into the crystal, barely able to make out the figure of the person inside. It was like peering through smoke. He noticed the woman's long red hair, secured by a strange ruby, clasping it into a ponytail. Naburo. What was she doing in there? Link stared at her silhouette, utterly confused. Not thinking rationally, he concluded something must have happened to her, and a sliver of fear ran through him. Link jerked back, his heart pounding furiously. Had something happened to the sages? He hastily spun around, eye focusing on the stone sigil of the forest medallion. Zarya, he whispered. He ran over to her, almost stumbling in his haste, and pressed his hands against the crystal surface. There. He could just make out the childlike figure within it. Saria. Like Nabura, she appeared to be asleep, but it was impossible to tell for certain. He looked for some sign of life, the steady rise and fall of her chest, but she remained completely still. Her eyes were closed, and it almost appeared that she was merely sleeping. Saria, he called urgently, pounding on the crystal's surface. There was no movement of her eyelids, nothing to indicate she heard him. How could he get her out of there? He wanted to tell Saria that they could go home soon, or at least she could. He gazed at Saria, his throat aching while he thought of happier times, a time when he was just a child of the forest, merely a boy named Link and not a hero of time with the weight of an entire world thrust upon his shoulders. Staring at her seemingly lifeless body, he swallowed hard. I'll get you out of here soon, Saria, he declared hoarsely. Do not fear, they are just asleep, spoke a familiar but unexpected voice. Startled, Link jumped convulsively and spun around. Standing just a few feet before him was Impa. A purple blindfold covered her eyes, or rather what remained of them, and a purple robe was draped around her shoulders, the cowl drawn black from her gray hair. 
She appeared haggard. Lines creased her forehead, making her look far older than when Link last saw her in the woods. Empa? He gasped in surprise. Impa smiled, and for an instant, she seemed younger again. You have grown last we met, Link of Kokiri, she said. Link was bewildered, for it hadn't been two weeks since he last saw the Sheikah. At least, he was sure it wasn't that long ago. He'd lost track of time during his journey into the Gerudo Desert. I... I don't understand, Link told her, baffled. You have accepted that you are the hero of time, Impa explained. The power of Feora flows through you. It means you have become the hero that you were destined to be. Link blushed at such a declaration. I... I had help, he said dismissively. He didn't believe he deserved all that praise. It was Navi and Sheik who helped him to his feet each time he fell. You did have help, Impa agreed with a nod. But in the end, only you could walk the path of the hero. You have done well, Link. I am proud of you. Link's cheeks reddened. He'd never heard such praise from Impa before and knew she didn't give it lightly. Struggling for words, he managed a mumbled, Thank you. I am sorry I could not spare you from the fate you have endured, Impa said, sounding sorrowful as she allowed her guard to drop. She turned her head, shoulders drooped ever so slightly, and gazed listlessly towards one of the tall windows. She spoke more softly than ever, and Link strained to hear her words. It was my duty to protect you from the day you were born, and that... I failed. Link was more baffled than ever. What do you mean? He asked, when he could finally unstick his tongue. It is a long story, Imba admitted hesitantly as she turned to face him. I do not believe you need to be troubled with hearing it. No, tell me, please. As he spoke, Link realized something. Impa knew his parents. Whatever Impa was planning on telling him, Link was confident he could handle it. It couldn't be any worse than anything else he'd learned in this room. And after what he'd recently seen, it couldn't get much worse, could it? You knew my parents, he asked. So much of his past was shrouded in mystery. Link owed what little he knew about his mother to Saria. However, she'd left him with more questions rather than answers. Who were his parents and where was the place they called home? Impa sighed, seemingly appearing older again. Yes. She revealed softly, I knew your parents. As it was, I had been searching for the hero reborn. Impa began. I knew when he would be born as our seers had revealed his birth, but I did not exactly know where he was born or to whom. 
I sent the Sheikah under my command to make a record of every child born that year. She trailed off, the regret plain in her voice, and then she continued. And that was when I discovered who you would become. I swore to your mother that I would protect you and spare you from this fate if I could. Who was my mother? Link asked. Saria never learned her name. To Link, it seemed like hours before Impa finally replied. Lady Larissa Harkinian. Harkinian? He'd heard that name before. Harkinian. Isn't that the name of one of those noble houses? It was the only one he knew, apart from the house of Nohansen. Wait. Wasn't Harkinian the house of the Red Lion sigil? The house of Zelda's mother? Larissa was Zelda's aunt, Impa further confessed. Link wasn't surprised that it felt as though she was reading his mind. Zelda's aunt? You mean, Zelda and I are cousins? Impa gave a small nod. Yes, you are. When I learned that some of the Sheikah who fled during the schism wanted you dead, I pleaded for Larissa to take you to the safety of the Kokori Groves, but she refused, desiring to raise her son on her own terms as any mother would. Only in the end was I able to convince her. Link was confused. The Sheikah wanted him dead? That revelation didn't make any sense. But... He said weakly. I thought the Sheikah were meant to protect, not to harm. They were appointed to serve the royal family. He remembered seeing the torture chamber in the Shadow Temple, and the unfinished mask, the ghost of people long gone trapped within it. Link had once believed the Sheikah were benevolent protectors, warriors who valued honor and justice. But after what he'd seen... How could he have been so naive? The Sheikah were not the protectors he'd believed them to be. At least not all of them. Do you truly believe that? Impa asked softly. Link swallowed, his mouth feeling very dry. No, he admitted finally. No, I don't! It's like everything I learned about them, about your people, was wrong! As the words stumbled out of his mouth, Link wished he'd been more careful. He had no desire to offend Impa, and for a heartbeat, he feared she would take offense to his declaration. It was not always that way, Impa confessed, giving no indication she was affronted. In truth, a sickness ran through the Sheikah's ranks. We were at war with each other long before the Hundred Year War began. Link shivered, remembering what he'd learned about the Sheikah Schism and the brutal punishments that was handed to those who were held captive in the temple. After I failed the task I was assigned, Impa continued sounding distant. I became certain our leader, the High Seer, had declared himself a god to control the fates of many. She paused, looking towards the window, but seeing nothing. 
I joined the Rebel Sheikah and quickly rallied them together against my better judgment. I led a war against my kin. Impa said, Some of the other Sheikah began to worship the ancients, a race of deities from which Majora and Ganon rose. Why would anyone worship something wanting to destroy Hyrule? Link asked, completely aghast at the idea. Because they were promised a reward. A lie ensnaring them within the Ancients' grasp, Impo answered. Those same Sheikah didn't want the hero to be reborn. They had a spy within my ranks. But try as I did, I could not draw them out. Sheikah often guard their thoughts carefully, so it wasn't a simple matter of reading their minds. They discovered who you were and betrayed the Order. One night, when you and your mother were in Lord Nohansen's camp, the Shadow Worshippers, the followers of the Ancients and their twisted doctrines, tried to kill you. Whether by chance or by fate's design, your mother woke and confronted the would-be assassin. Impa was still melding with his mind. It felt so gentle that Link barely noticed the disconcerting feeling. For an instant, that connection intensified, and images flashed through his mind, specifically Impa's memories. He saw a woman inside a tent. She was standing beside two curtains that divided the tent's interior. She was staring in utter terror, her eyes set upon a woman draped in black who was standing beside a cot. The Sheikah eye embroidered on her cloak. The figure was looking down at the infant in the cot as it cooed softly, oblivious to the danger it was in now. When he finally noticed the stranger stepping towards his cot, a knife now held in their hand, the infant let out its piteous cry. He might not have recognized this stranger for what they were, but the unfamiliar face signaled danger. Her trance broken by the infant's wail, the woman standing by the tent flap launched forward. She slammed into the black-robed Sheikah. As both women crashed to the ground, the assassin reached for her knife with one hand and sent a blast of fire out with the other. It missed its target, leaving the child unharmed and slammed into the tent's fabric. As startled cries arose from elsewhere in the tent, Link wanted to scream. But there was nothing he could do as he watched the assassin's blade strike his mother's side. He saw a woman with silvery hair enter the room, several others close behind her. As the fire began to hungrily devour the tent, smoke filling the room, someone grabbed the child, and then the vision faded. Link felt numb and cold at what he'd just witnessed. Your mother stopped them, but in the ensuing struggle she was stabbed by a dagger infused with powerful dark magic. Against such powers, even my skills are limited. I arrived just in time to save you and Larissa's attendants. What happened after that? Link asked. He felt painfully numb and a part of him didn't want Impa to go on.
An army of undead, no doubt summoned by those trying to kill you, attacked Nohansen's army. I was able to help your mother flee amidst the confusion. As she spoke, more images confronted Link. The shrieks of Redeads rent the night. Men screamed as they fought, and somewhere in the distance, an infant let out a frightened wail. He saw two women on horseback fleeing towards a thicket of trees. One was the gold-haired woman, holding the screaming baby tightly in her arms. Several wolfos nipped at her horse's hooves. Their focus was only for the child as they bore down on the horse that carried him, nipping and snapping at the squalling bundle. A familiar voice shouted at Larissa to fall back. Just before Impa rode into view, she swung a long sword into one of the beasts and let her horse trample the other. The Lost Woods bordered the camp's eastern flank, so it was there that we sought refuge. Impa continued, her voice solemn. We were pursued, but I held off the other Sheikah and their summoned creatures until you and your mother reached the woods. The attack ceased after that, and the rest, you no doubt know. Link's throat hurt, and it was an effort to speak. Saria told me... He paused, before tentatively asking. Does Zelda know that we're related? She does. But I didn't tell her any more than that, Impa confirmed. She cares more for you than you realize. I'm sure of it. I wish she'd show it a bit more, Link muttered. Sheik very rarely showed any sign of caring beyond checking that he wasn't suffering a life-threatening injury. She has been hard on you these past few moons, I agree, Impa said gently. Do not be too quick to judge her. These last few years have been very hard on her. I know, Link replied, remembering Sheik's fever dream and how shocked he'd been to hear her begging. His mind quickly wandered back to what Impa told him about his mother's death. Something was missing from her story, and after a moment, he realized what it was. <coughs> what happened to my father? Lord Norsin Aldemir died the night the Sheikah attacked Nohansen's camp, Impa explained. Link bowed his head as numbness crept into his core. How many people had died just to keep him safe? For the longest time, Link stared at the tranquil light streaming through the windows. He swallowed trying to force down the emotion welling up inside of him. Thank you, he said hoarsely. Thank you for telling me. Impa inclined her head. You had the right to know. I wish this could have ended differently. She turned to face the shimmering blue crystals as though she could see their occupants, despite being blind. 
Still, one question nagged at Link's mind. Like an insect buzzing incessantly through the recesses of his mind. Why didn't you try to kill Ganondorf? Why did you spare him? He instantly regretted asking the question, noticing Impa's grimace. He wanted desperately to take those words back, to unsay what he'd just uttered. Too late now. Isn't it obvious? Impa asked softly, almost bitterly. She heaved a sigh, her shoulders seeming to sag a little. It was not a decision I made alone. Many Sheikah were opposed to it, especially given what we had already sacrificed. It was dangerous. Many a monarchy has collapsed from the bloodshed caused in the name of vengeance, but... Here she paused, facing him sightlessly. You have a right to know. But I must ask, do not breathe a word of this to Zelda. Not until I have spoken to her. I won't. Good. Is nodded. Our seers saw what Ganondorf would become. But in our arrogance, we assumed we knew why. There were some who protested against the decision, saw that it would lead to an endless cycle of vengeance as one race tried to right the wrongs committed by another. That has long been the way of all of our kind. We cling to the past. Let it control us, and inevitably, it defies who we are. We are not quick to forgive the wrongs committed by another. Such as it is, we feared that if the Gerudo realized who was behind Ganondorf's death, and who'd cursed them, they would seek blood in payment. Naburu, too, understood how unending the cycle of vengeance can be which is why she opposed his desire to destroy Hyrule. Unfortunately, the king did not have any such reservations, and when the High Seer told him what would happen if Ganondorf remained alive, he agreed to assassinate him. Why didn't you refuse? Refuse your king? Impa asked, her tone dark. That is not so easy. In the end... I opposed him, but only after our plan failed. She turned, heaving another sigh. As for why I spared him, that is something I have had many years to ponder. He was just a boy, and I wondered if it was our right to decide his fate, or if by trying to control the future by using the sight, we had fancied ourselves gods instead of mortals. I only had the High Seer's words, and his methods had been questionable. I saw the High Seer for what he was, a tyrant. He may have united the Sheikah clans, but he was leading them to ruin. I do not regret that choice. If it had not been for Ganon, meddling in a Gerudo affairs, and for what we'd done to them, things may have turned out differently. We will not know now, 
and perhaps that would have only changed Ganon's plans, leaving him to search for a new host instead. A silence so thick, Link could almost taste it followed Impa's words, leaving Link to slowly digest what he'd heard. He was surprised that Impa didn't regret the decision to spare Ganondorf's life. Once the Grudo king and queen had been murdered, hadn't it been too late to change Ganondorf's fate? Link doubted he'd ever know. And he was beginning to think he'd ask more than enough questions. Too many, perhaps. There was little time left to dwell on the past. Now that Ganondorf is cornered, he is all the more dangerous. There is much more to be done and little time remains. Impa continued at length. Ganondorf is now aware of Zelda's disguise. There are some alive who worship the ancients just as some of the Sheikah's clan did. Impa's voice was thick with contempt. It sounded so strange and unnerving, coming from her. Some may try to capture her, even amidst the Hylian camp's illusion of safety. You must act before they do. Link strode to Impa's side, and she seemed to watch him. He was certain she could still sense him, just as well as reading his mind. What do we do? Link asked. First, we must wait until you and the sages are fully healed. Impa spoke while gesturing towards the crystals. That should only be a matter of hours. Then, we will be able to return to Hyrule. How? Link asked. If the Temple of Time is our only way back, then it would be too dangerous to return. The sages would be right in the thick of the monsters dwelling within Castletown's walls. After his escape from the Temple of Time, when he first awakened, he was certain Ganondorf would have taken extra measures to ensure nobody could slip in or out of that temple again. Zelda has a plan, Impa said, sounding more like her casual calm and collected self. She will warp some Gorons into the Temple of Time. They can clear out the monsters within, and we can place a ward around the building. Once that's done, we can break the barrier so Zelda's army can attack Castletown. Is there any way to get into Ganondorf's keep without Zelda's army attacking? Link asked. A lot of people would perish if her army tried clearing a path to the tower. Impa shook her head. I'm afraid not. Even with our powers and yours combined, charging through Ganondorf's entire army would be as good as sentencing ourselves to death. Many more will die if that happens. I know, Link said, feeling utterly dismayed. How many more people would die before this conflict ended? How many more people would lose their loved ones or become orphaned just as he was? He knew Impa was right, no matter how much he hated it. And if he endangered himself now, Link didn't want to consider the consequences. He wouldn't let that happen. He closed his eye, 
trying to will himself to think of a more pleasant thoughts than death. Memories stirred within his mind. Unbidden and unwelcome, he saw corpses, bloated and decayed, floating within a lake while a hunched figure gnawed upon their remains. No! Link felt the bitter taste of bile in his mouth. No! Think happier thoughts! Link? He jerked in response, opening his eye as Impa placed a comforting hand on his shoulder. I'm sorry you had to witness what you saw. It was never my intention that you or Zelda should enter that terrible place. Why did the necromancer create those things? Who was he? Link asked. Unable to hide his dismay at the ordeal he'd faced. Impa stiffened slightly, her hand remaining on his shoulder. He turned to glance at her as the light in the chamber seemed to darken. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have... Link began, but Impa waved her free hand dismissively. It's quite all right, she replied. I guess you could say my people lost their way. The remnants of our tribe were scattered like leaves upon the wind. Link nodded as Impa continued her speech. Over a century ago, in the thick of the Sheikah Schism, the High Seer, whom you know as Bongo, sought to end the prophecy of the Chosen One and secure the Sheikah's power. Much like Ganondorf, he stumbled upon one of the ancients. It had been sealed beneath the Shadow Temple. Wait! Link was confused. Hadn't the Sheikah been after a source of power? They were, Impa answered. The demon you slew was the source of that power. The High Seer claimed he'd slain it, and only later did it become clear that the demon had possessed him. After that, the High Seer foresaw our destruction at the hands of the Gerudo and curse them to ensure that prophecy would never eventuate. Many Sheikah opposed the decision, but they were unable to stop him. Is that why Ganondorf hated the Sheikah so much? Link asked, shivering as he recalled the executions of the Sheikah within the Gerudo Fortress. He held them responsible? Tragically, Yes. He is one of the few Gerudo who knows the truth, Impa said, her words coming dangerously close to revealing what she'd done. What about Naburo? Link asked. She is aware of it. Is there a cure? Link asked, his mind reeling at Impa's words. Not yet, Impa said gravely. My people were so close to finding one, yet, in his quest for vengeance, Ganondorf killed them. A cruel irony for a man wanting to save his people. You mean the Gerudo will just die out? Link asked, as he looked at Naburu, 
He could only see her faint outline, though. The translucent crystal. There may still be a way to save them, Impa said. The same way Ganondorf wanted, except that he lacked the purity of heart to use it. You mean the Triforce? Link asked in slight confusion. Yes, Impa replied. Though, until we can reunite all three pieces, we must focus on the task at hand. She turned to face Link. I have spoken long enough, and you must gather your strength before we make this final strike. The final strike, he repeated, the words feeling strange upon his tongue. It's been leading up to this but, he paused, swallowing. I never expected to make it this far. And yet you did, Impa said gently. You will not be alone in this battle. Take heart in that. You can defeat Ganondorf. Of that I am certain. We shall meet again soon, Impa said, giving him no time to respond. Take my medallion with you. She stepped back, and the mist began to form once again. It enshrouded her until she and the chamber were little more than shadows. Good luck, Impa said. May the goddess be with you. And with all of us. <gasps> Link woke with a gasp, feeling as though someone had splashed cold water on his face. At first, he had no idea where he was. Sleep still clung to him and he groaned. As his surroundings regained clarity, his various bruises and injuries reminded him of the beatings he'd taken in the Shadow Temple. Sheik's remedies must have already worn off. He stared at the ceiling, wanting nothing more than to sink back into the soft and fluffy pillows. Sleep eluded him, his mind abuzz with what Impa had told him. His parents, the Gerudo curse, the Sheikah trying to kill him when he was only an infant. Link shuddered as he recalled fragments of Impa's memories. They weren't something he was likely to forget any time soon. I can't think about that, Link surmised. He had to distract himself somehow. Remember the candle flame, he told himself. He tried emptying his emotions into the burning candle, forming in his mind as best he could. It did nothing to stop the flood of memories rushing to greet him. The steady calm slipping away like water trickling between his fingers. Link sighed and propped himself into his elbows. Glancing at his injured leg, a bandage was wrapped around the injury, and his leg was elevated on a pillow. He looked around for Navi, realizing she was nowhere to be seen, and judging by the sun peering over Death Mountain in the distance, it was well after sunrise, 
She must have gone outside, he thought while scanning the room one final time. Link noticed the corner of a piece of parchment tucked beneath his cap where Navi often slept. Reaching out towards the nightstand and grabbing it, Link realized it was a hastily drawn picture of a tree and a fairy. The notes of the Minuetta Forest scrawled just beneath it. The only people who knew that song were himself, Sheik, Impa, and Navi. Sheik must have left this note, he concluded. He turned the parchment over and inspected the other side. It was blank. He turned the parchment over and inspected the other side. It was blank. Knowing Link couldn't read, Sheik must have decided to leave him a picture instead. He felt a flicker of gratitude towards her. It was not often Sheik acted that thoughtful. He glanced back at the note, staring at the picture again as though intending to decipher some hidden meaning within those lines. Navi had gone to the forest, which worried him, while the rational part of his mind told him she was fine. Another part wondered if something had happened to her, or if she'd waited too long before returning from the Sheikin necropolis. The ramifications of the latter were too painful to even consider, and Link quickly dismissed the idea that Navi was anything other than fine. She'll be back soon, he thought, probably telling me off for sleeping in as usual. Given the circumstances, it was unlikely that Navi would be that mean. Link started to lay on the flat of his back, listening to the rumble of horse carts within Kakariko's streets. In the distance, men shouted, and he was sure he could hear Agoron's gravelly tones. Not wanting to be alone, and abandoning the notion of more sleep, Link climbed out of bed, moving gingerly at first to ensure he didn't aggravate his injury. Seeing his clothes neatly folded on the bedside table, he got dressed as quickly as he could. He placed the belt of sages on last, admiring the polished medallions gleaming within the belt. If Link tilted his head and stared at them from a certain angle, he was convinced they were glowing. The belt was finally complete, and he could scarcely believe it. Still contemplating whether to head for the stables or the kitchens, Link left his room. The aroma of breakfast smells wafting from the kitchen decided the matter. His stomach growled at the thought of food, and he couldn't recall the last time he'd eaten a hearty meal. The kitchen was a bustle of activity, with maids and cooks scurrying to and fro, some carrying stacks of dishes. During his previous visits to this inn, Link had grown accustomed to how noisy the place was. Now, aside from the clattering of crocky and the occasional murmured comment, the kitchen was oddly silent. There's still some porridge left if you want some, one of the cooks offered pleasantly. 
her sad smile never reaching her eyes. Or some bread if you prefer. It's not much. Porridge will be enough, Link answered. He watched the cook's gaze straight towards his missing eye. She looked uncomfortable and even intimidated. Link almost sighed, sitting down as the cook placed a bowl of steaming hot porridge before him. He hated the kitchen's solemn mood, but the common room and even the private rooms the innkeeper kept for his more wealthy patrons were far and few between these days. Wouldn't have been any better. From the brief snippets of subdued conversations he caught, Link gathered the most of the injured had been moved out of the common room. He struggled to concentrate on his meal as the cook kept looking at him. Torn between curiosity and weariness, their eyes lingering far too long on his scarred face. Each time he caught them staring, they quickly busied themselves with their work. I guess I'm going to get that a lot, Link thought grimly. I'm comfortable with the attention. He woofed down the porridge as fast as he could. His stomach still growled hungrily afterward, so he ordered a second bowl. After promptly finishing that, he ordered a third. The cook's stares hastily turned from weariness to disgust. He eats like a horse, muttered one of the kitchen staff. She didn't realize Link had overheard, nor did he see any reason to make a fuss over it. After finishing, and with a hurried thanks to the cook, Link returned to his room. Navi hadn't returned yet, and with no desire to be alone, he decided to check on Epona. He hadn't really gotten a chance to check on the mare since, well, since that night he'd arrived while Kakariko was under attack. Link slipped out the back of the inn and trugged across the yard to the stable area. There was no sign of any of the stable hands when he walked in. And almost all the stalls were empty, except Epinas. The mare was staring at something just out of sight. He rounded the partition between the stalls to find Malin sitting against the wall. She was staring at the ground, absent-mindedly twirling a brooch from on her cloak in one hand. Though Malin looked far tidier than the night before, she still looked drained. Her eyes hadn't lost that blank look, and her hair was a mess of red tangles. She barely noticed the shaggy mare nudging her, pinning for attention lost in a daydream and totally unaware of her surroundings. Malin failed to acknowledge Link. Epina, on the other hand, raised her head and wickered upon sealing him. Her ears pricked back and head lowered as though she was ashamed of fleeing when Link had needed her. Hey, girl, Link said as Epina continued hanging her head. Her gaze lingered back to Malin, and Link followed with his own eye. 
He stopped scratching Epina, frowning. Malin hadn't stirred. Malin? Link whispered. He wasn't sure what to say or do. Normally, he'd consider asking if she was okay. But that seemed outright stupid. Just from looking at her, Link could tell the answer was a defined no. Malin's eyes were bloodshot, her cheeks caked with soot and grim. Except where the tears had formed rivulets down her face. Oh, goodness, Link thought, his heart aching terribly. Malin, he spoke softly as he sat down next to her. Hey, it's okay, he said soothingly. Link wished Navi was with him. She'd know what to do. Malin placed her head against his chest, her arms encircling him. Link returned the gesture, knowing that words alone would not heal her sorrow. I keep hearing them, she whispered, her breath shuddering. Every time I'm alone, I can hear them. Link closed his eye for a moment almost able to hear the haunting whispers of souls long lost. He remembered the necromancer most of all, and its unnerving taunts. It pained him to realize what Malin was going through. Shh, it's okay, he said gently, brushing aside her unkept hair. You're safe now. That's what matters. That's easy for you to say. Malin replied with a sniff. She was hugging him so tightly, his ribs were practically groaning in protest. He tried not to wince in pain. Malin seemed to realize this and relaxed her grip. I've never been so frightened in my life. Not even when... She suddenly tensed, choking on the words as she held back a sob. Link had a small inkling he knew what she was about to say. They're gone now, he whispered. I was so scared, she repeated softly. It's okay. I was frightened too, he said gently. What if they come back? Melon asked, on the verge of tears again. They won't, Link assured her. Though the words sounded hollow, you'll be okay, I promise, I'll keep you safe, and you better hope you can keep that promise. Malin hugged him again, this time taking care not to crack his ribs. She sobbed, bitter tears splashing down onto Link's tunic as he tried consoling her. I've fended wolves away from flocks more times than I can remember, she sobbed. I was scared then, but I didn't feel powerless. Nothing like... She shivered, wheezing through her sobs. I thought I'd never see Papa again. Shh, I'm sorry. Malin buried her head into the shoulder, crying harder. You have nothing to be sorry about, Link told her gently. It pained him to see her this broken, so far gone from the young girl who laughed at almost everything. 
Those days he'd spent on the ranch seemed like such a long time ago. For a considerable time, they lay back against the stall in silence. Melon rested her head against his shoulder, holding him as though afraid to let go. He had no idea how long they stayed there. Malin's trembling gradually stilled, and by the time she stirred, her tears had long since dried. She wiped her eyes and glanced around the stall as though looking for something. Where's Navi? She had to go back to the forest, Link answered. Malin looked puzzled, so he added, I'm sure she'll be back soon. He didn't mention that she'd been cursed. Navi would not appreciate it. He thought of something to distract both himself and Malin from the horrid events of the few days ago. I missed the ranch after I left. I wanted to come back, but after everything happened... I know, Malin murmured. Father missed you too. He said you were like the son he never had. Link felt a rush of gratitude towards Talon, remembering how readily the man accepted him. He might have originally felt distrust, thinking that Talon only did it because the Shiga asked him to. Now, Link knew that wasn't the case. The man could have refused. He could have sent him and Navi away despite Impa's request, and yet he hadn't. I felt so stupid for coming back. I wanted to see Epona. But I also had friends in Kakariko. I wanted to see them. I wanted to join the resistance. Silly, really. Father wouldn't have liked that idea. But almost everyone else I'd known had joined the Queen's Banner. It seemed like such a cowardly thing. Doing nothing to help when everyone else was. Link was slightly taken back by this news. Someone needs to look after the fields, he pointed out. The Queen's Banner wouldn't exist if it weren't for the farmers that supported them. That was partly what led the Gerudo to rebel. They had no food. It seemed like the most logical thing to say, and it was the reasoning Sheik would have used. Malin smiled weakly. Navi's influence is rubbing off on you. Almost, he said, glad to see Malin smile. <laughs> I haven't started saying, hey, listen yet. Malin snorted softly, almost laughing. They both looked up as Epina whinnied, demanding their attention. That was when Link thought of something else. Was it just my imagination, or did Ingo hug me last night? He does seem a bit friendlier than usual, Malin said, peering towards the stall's entrance as though expecting Ingo to round the corner at any moment. I thought his brother might have put something in his drink. Ingo's drink? No. But we still have a little bit of Lon Lon milk left thanks to the red ice they keep in the cellar.
she answered. She got up, holding Link's hand and helping him up. He felt stiff, and his limbs cramped from being still for so long. Malin's eyes went straight to his one, and her gaze linger upon his scars. Malin never said anything, but Link suddenly felt the heat rising in his cheeks. Malin was a little too close, so close that he could see every detail of her face, right down to the sprinkling of freckles on the bridge of her nose. Exhausted and untidy as she was, Malin still looked beautiful. Navi would probably have a fit if she saw him now. She'd tell him it was stupid leading her on, considering what he still had to do. Especially if it distracted him from his task. Link had never told Malin he was the hero of time. He hadn't expected her to believe him. But now he felt a pang of guilt for not confessing. Breathing in the scent of freshly cut hay, Link pushed his thoughts aside. Malin placed her arms around his waist as she leaned forward until her lips touched his own. Her delicate touch jolted him, the sensation exhilarating. As the thought of duty threatened him again, Link sighed and tensely pulled away. Malin looked confused at first. Is something wrong? She asked. There's something I need to tell you. He held up his hand, pulling off the gauntlet for her to look at the scar beneath. The Triforce mark was glowing faintly, just enough for her to see it. At first... She just stared, looking puzzled. Then her eyes widened, and she took his hand in her own and examined it. Her mouth fell agape. I... you're the... She looked up, studying him. Why didn't you tell me? Malin didn't look as surprised as Link expected. If anything, she looked more sorrowful. Perhaps she thought that being the hero of time was a curse, an illness he would eventually succumb to. I didn't think you'd believe me, Link added. I didn't believe it until recently either. It's a secret to everybody. Well, he managed a rueful grin before adding, Maybe not everybody. I highly doubt it will be much of a secret for long, Malin said, a small ghost of a smile flickering across her face. Especially if they figure out that Scar isn't a fake, and your sword isn't a replica. Link offered a silent nod in return. Is that why you were hiding for so long? And why you never came back to Lon Lon except when your horse was injured? Link wouldn't have called being stuck in the sacred realm hiding, but he figured it was close enough. Yeah, 
It was. Malin's gaze focused on the scar again. Clear pity in her eyes. She felt sorry for him, and he didn't want that. Is it true? She asked, her voice almost a whisper. That the hero must face the demon king who sits upon Hyrule's throne? It is, Link answered. Those prophecies, from what little he knew, never stated whether the hero would live or die. Only that he would face the Dark One upon Hyrule's lost throne. He wondered if Melon was thinking the same thing. How much did she know about them? For a moment, Link wished he'd just kept his mouth shut and not told her the truth. I won't lie to you, Melon, Link said, his voice trembling as he expressed his fears. He almost fooled himself into believing that denying that fear would make it go away. And yet, Link knew deep down that wouldn't work. I honestly don't know if I will come away from this alive. The words burned his throat, the admission of his fears painful. If anything happens... Stop! Don't talk like that! Malin's voice was suddenly heated. Malin, Link continued insistently, almost pleadingly. You'll be fine, she rebuked him, her eyes reflecting her fierce expression. He'd rarely seen her like that, except once when Ingo had refused to help treat Link's injured horse. It's not me I'm worried about, Link said, realizing he wasn't handling this well. You need to stay here. You'll be safe. If something happens to me, I don't want you to hurt. Don't worry about me. The anger left Melon's eyes as quickly as it came. There's always a risk something might happen. But that doesn't mean you should shun people away to protect them from being hurt. What kind of existence is that? But... Link started protesting, but Malin wouldn't have it. She embraced him again and leaned close. Her lips nearly touched his own before Link heard footsteps approaching up in a stall. Link? Sheik. Link jumped convulsively and drew back. Epona jerked too, raising her head to peer at the newcomer. Sheik stood at the stall's entrance, her eyes lingering from Malin to Link and then back again. She raised an eyebrow, looking at him with questioning eyes while Navi zipped into the stall's small gate. Link! she exclaimed. Why'd you run off like that? You nearly gave me a... Navi went silent as Sheik stared at her. She looked at Link and Malin for an explanation. Oh, bad timing. Miss Lawn, isn't it? Sheik asked firmly, her eyes falling on Malin. She didn't sound too pleased to see her. Malin nodded, her hands clasped in the front of her. Yes. Might I have a word with you, Link? Alone. Sheik asked with an icy tone. Malin looked taken back by Sheik's barely disguised vehemence. After a tense moment, she nodded and replied, Of course. 
She glanced questioningly at Link and then disappeared out of the stall. Once Malin was gone, Sheik mentioned for Link to follow. Link did, feeling rather embarrassed. He'd barely gotten out of the stall before Sheik spun around and rounded on him. Link sprung back with a yelp. What were you thinking? Sheik demanded. What do you mean? Link asked offensively. I was just comforting her. Hey, Navi argued, zipping in between the pair. Is now really a good time for this? Link's hardly the first seventeen-year-old. Her words went unnoticed. Comforting her, Sheik questioned, disbelievingly. Navi made frantic waving motions in front of her, but Sheik ignored the fairy. There was more going on there than just comforting. I... Nothing was going on, Link blustered, red-faced. He felt a sudden and almost irrational anger at Sheik. What he and Malin did was none of her business. What does it matter to you, anyway? I need you to focus, Link, Sheik said, sounding annoyed. I can't believe you distracted by a simple little farm girl. Sheik must have realized she said the wrong thing, because her eyes immediately widened. A farm girl, Link repeated, his anger rising. Navi groaned. Can we discuss this later? Link ignored her. Is that all she is to you? It was a poor choice of words, Sheik responded apologetically. I'm not worried about her status. I'm more concerned about you. I can't have you distracted, that's all. Link was not placated so easily. So you're saying I should just be an emotionless Sheikah like you? He asked in frustration. I can see how well that's worked for you. Sometimes it makes me think you've forgotten what it feels like to be close to someone. You're cold. And if I didn't know any better, I would believe you were heartless. Link felt the sting of those words as he winced, wishing he could take them back. She simply stared at him, her red eyes seemingly radiating heat. Hey, listen, Navi shouted, hands on her hips. Cut it out, you two! She fixed Link with an angry scowl that almost made him recoil. He'd gotten into a yelling match with her before and hadn't won. We have more important things to worry about and arguing over a girl isn't one of them! Sheik opened her mouth to retaliate. She glared at Navi as though the fairy scored a low blow. But the fairy only returned her gaze. However, Link got a word in first. I wasn't arguing over a girl. Oh, really? Navi folded her arms, looking deeply unimpressed. Then what were you doing? Now, if you've both finished, we need to get to the Temple of Time. But first, Sheik. I think you have something for Link. <sighs> of course. Sheik heaved a sigh and put a hand into her satchel withdrawing a vial of tree sap. Is that... From the elder tree, Sheik finished. It will heal your leg, and I can use it as a salve on the rest of your injuries. The elder tree. Did you see the other Kokiri? Link asked. 
It had only been a few days since he'd sent the last of them home, and he hadn't heard any news since. Are they all right? Yes, they are fine, Sheik answered in a much calmer tone. The Kokiri you sent back to the forest are settling in well, and your friend, Forens, has most of them harvesting medical plants and preparing potions for the camps. Link felt a surge of relief at those words. The Kokiri were safe. Even though their lives hadn't gone back to the way they were before, at least they were safe at home. Thank you, Link murmured, trying to force down the torrent of emotions rising within him. He hated getting emotional in front of Sheik, even though he did exactly that. Thank you. That means a lot to me. You do not need to thank me, Link. It was your own actions that freed the Kokiri, Sheik said, sounding much calmer now. We first should go back to your room. But we need to be quick. The Gorons are waiting for us. Waiting for us? Link asked in surprise. What in Hyrule was Sheik talking about? Yes, Sheik said. Yet, Link was still confused. What do you mean waiting for us? he asked. We're going to storm the Temple of Time, Sheik finally answered. Without another word, she turned and headed for the inn. Still feeling a confused mix of emotions, Link didn't follow immediately. You know, Link, Navi spoke softly, her eyes fixed on Sheik to make sure she wasn't overheard. Just because she seems emotionless doesn't mean she is. You might just find that she fears feeling her emotions. Why? Link asked distractedly. Because it hurt too much, Navi answered. Perhaps she's just buried it, and that's just her way of coping with the pain of what she lost. Oh, Link said, feeling stupid. Why hadn't he considered that before? I'm such an idiot, he thought, resisting the urge to bury his face in the palm of his hand. A sense of shame. A guilt at being so insensitive to Zelda's own struggles burned in his gut. Hadn't Impa's words been enough of a clue? She called to him, and with a final glance at Epona, Link went after her. Barely an hour later, as the noonday sun began its descent, Link stood on the Kakariko's graveyard, Dias once again, accompanied by an odd mix of Gorons and Hylians. More than six Gorons, all curled into a ball, formed a protective ring around the other occupant. Archers, all wearing the livery of the Queen's banner, formed the second ring just inside the first, using the bulky Gorons as a shield. Sheik! Shouldn't you stay here? Link asked. Navi voiced her agreement, also suggesting she should remain behind. He was afraid of what might happen if this plan went horribly wrong. What if they were captured? Or what if one of the sages was killed? He wouldn't be able to forgive himself if they'd gotten this far only for one of those things to happen. 
Sheik seemed to sense his worry. The sage's power are strongest in the Temple of Time. Ganondorf won't attack us there. Not directly, at least. What if something happens? Link questioned, lowering his voice to avoid letting anyone else know he was afraid. If anything happens, I can warp us both back to Kakariko, Sheik argued. Link nodded, swallowing hard, and shared a glance with Navi. He could tell she was afraid too. Even though she tried hiding it, she barely spoke a word, and her usual sarcasm had lost its flair. Link held misgivings about their strategy. They'd been over Zelda's plan a dozen times, and he still didn't like it. The archers would fire a volley as they arrived, taking out any attackers while the Gorons would proceed to barricade the temple's front to prevent any other creatures coming in. Finally, Sheik would place a ward around the building to ensure it was protected. Sheik raised her harp, gently holding it as one might hold a small child. Ready? she asked. Murmurs of assent rose around her, and Sheik nodded. She plucked the soft notes of an unfamiliar song. Link had never heard it before, but he remembered her naming it long ago. The Prelude of Light. The song that would take them to the Temple of Time, a place where Link had led Ganondorf to the Sacred Realm. The melody came to an end, and Sheik lowered the harp. As she did so, blue fire licked the platform's edge, startling Gorons and Hylians alike. Stand firm, Sheik ordered. Hold and stand firm! The world began to spin until Link's surroundings were nothing but a blur. The archers must have experienced this before, because none of them were disoriented. Link thought this was just as well. Otherwise, their dramatic entrance would have been short-lived. The Temple of Time's familiar stone walls and checkered floor appeared. Link only just managed to take in its dilapidated appearance with its shattered windows before he realized that the hall was far from empty. At least twenty bubblins had taken up residence. Some were just beginning to stir from the depths of sleep, all of them blinking and looking forward to the disturbance that broke their slumber. Two moblins were guarding the main doors while another two guarded the inner sanctum's entrance. There were startled shouts, and nearly every bubblin looked up at the newcomers in stunned horror. Whatever they'd been expecting, it was clearly not seven Gorons protecting a ring of archers. Arrows flew, and in an instant, half of the bubblin guards had fallen. Their screams were drowned out by the battle cry of Gorons, Cries so loud, it was a wonder the roof didn't collapse. Steel clashed, and hammers and axes banged as the Gorons charged into their frightened foes. Bublins, with bows half-notched, threw their weapons and ran as fast as they could towards the exit. One Bublin tried reloading a crossbow, and after two failed attempts, it threw the weapon at an approaching Goron and fled. The moblins bellowed, 
trying to make them charge, but the bubblins just kept running. They scrambled out of the door and into the ruined city. The moblins were left alone, pummeled as the gorons and archers made short work of them. Two iron knuckles standing just outside the door burst inside, their heavy armor clanking as they lumbered down the hall. They didn't work in tandem, and after a Goron wrestled an axe free from one of them, hastily swinging the axe into its former owner, the battle was quickly decided. It was over so quickly that Link, who jumped off the dais to join the fray, was left feeling stunned. Well, they don't seem to need us, Navi muttered. There will be more, Link told her, his eyes fixed on the doors. As if to affirm Link's prediction, a horn blew outside. A second quickly answered it. A third, and then a fourth, paled through the air. Bar the doors, Sheik yelled. The Gorons were already on it. They pushed the temple's heavy door shut, and then within moments, the doors shuddered, trembling under an assault of axes and blasts of magic that shook the entire temple. Sheik closed her eyes, her face becoming strained while the weapons went silent. Somehow, that seemed worse. Link had no idea what was going on outside and whether Ganondorf's minions would try to falter their plan. They definitely could, especially if Ganondorf came himself. The wards are holding, Sheik said. Sweat glistening on her forehead as she finished her spell. They won't last long. We must act quickly. An outburst of excitement from the Gorons quickly drew Link's attention to the inner sanctum. A familiar voice said something in the Goron's native tongue. Almost smiling, Link turned to face the door of time. As it had for nearly eight years, it stood open, and just inside of it were the sages. Despite the carnage around him, Darunia was grinning broadly. Ha ha ha! Finally! He boomed, his arms wide. Some action! This is what I like to see! Good to see you too, Darunia, Sheik said, managing to rear a smile of her own. Link's attention was almost entirely fixed on Saria as she descended the stairs. She ran forward, and Link knelt down so she could wrap her small arms around him. I missed you, she whispered, choking back a sob. When Impa told me what happened to you, it's okay, Link told her, gently ruffling her. Really? As Saria let go, he could feel her gaze linger on his missing eye, and her expression was pained. You're not okay! It's just a scratch, Saria, Link said, trying to sound lighthearted. Just a scratch? She repeated incredulously. That's a lot more than a scratch, Link! Well done, dear husband, came Rudo's soft voice. I didn't doubt you for an instant. Link blushed crimson, and after making sure Sheik hadn't overheard, he shot a chastising look. She just smiled, her eyes twinkling. Caught in the middle 
Saria stared at both of them, looking confused. Um, what did you just call him? She asked. Never mind, said Rudo innocently. I do believe we have rather pressing matters to attend to. Oh, do stop looking at me that way. You have no sense of humor, do you? With a strained effort, Link tried to assume a natural expression. He don't know what you're talking about. He was thankfully distracted by Naburu, who greeted him next. Ryaru came next, who was far more formal than the others. And finally, there was Darunia, who refrained from any mention of a hug. Your scars will make a good story, Darunia said approvingly. But first, we must get out of here. This should not be too difficult. A loud rumbling boom from outside made the temple's walls tremble. Think plums of dust descended in clouds from the ceiling. And Link was abruptly reminded the danger was far from over. Sheik looked back at the Gorons and the soldiers crowding the hall. They were still in position, but the Goron shouted that the doors felt warmer. That's a bad sign. The walls will not hold for long, said Rearu while standing beside Sheik. We must act quickly if we are to get out of here. The sages quickly moved back into the inner sanctum, taking up position on their respective medallions. Link watched as they closed their eyes and the dais began to glow. One by one, one by one, the medallion sigils carved into the floor burned brightly. Goroshes! Rearu declared loudly from his medallion. His voice seemed somehow magnified, seemingly stronger and more powerful. Heed our call! Hear the voices of Hyrule's children! Grant us your light this day to rid this land of darkness, to protect it from those who do it harm! He opened his eyes just as a great plume of light shot from the platform's center. The temple shook as the light split the air, a crack like thunder reverberating through the parameter. Link shielded his eye, his heart hammering madly within his chest. He was part awed, part terrified by the display. Another loud crack made him look out the window. The glass was shattered, and he had a good view of the shimmering barrier beyond. Cracks of light began weaving their way across its glassy surface like tiny webs. The loud crackling continued, and the air hummed with energy from the sage's spell. Then, with a final loud crack akin to a thunderous boom, the barrier fell. More horns began peeling through the air, yet it wasn't the harsh call of a moblin horn. Let's go, Riaru said. He looked strained and tired but he said nothing of it as he led the way out of the inner sanctum. Sheik helped Impa down the stairs with Naburo's aid, and soon they were crowding around the dais. There was barely any room to move on the platform, and just as Sheik began playing the final note, <laughs> 
of the Nocturne of Shadow, the doors burst open. More creatures poured inside, charging towards the dais and screaming in rage. Link fought hard not to panic at the sight. Sheik! Can't you make this thing hurry? I cannot, she answered, before shouting, Archers! Loose! A volley struck the first few beasts, and more flew as the archers let loose a second volley, and then a third. Out of the corner of his eye, Link realized that the Boblins had positioned ladders against the broken window frames, and were now attempting to climb into the temple. Damn it! Link didn't like this at all. Several Gorons, including Darunia, fended off a Lazaphos as it came close. Blue flames erupted around the dais, and the world spun. The Temple of Time vanished, and they were back beyond the walls of Castletown once more. Link breathed a sigh of relief, feeling a wave of relief at the fact they'd escaped. That was when he noticed the horns calling. They sounded different from the harsh mobbling calls, their notes echoing through Hyrule's hills. The barrier has fallen. They seem to cry. The final push to Castletown. And ultimately, Ganondorf's tower was about to begin. <laughs>